All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Kabbalah Cafe. All right, so today we have a very important topic, and the topic is, well, at least the topic that I wrote in the email is called Be a Tzaddik, but it's really about the psychology of a Tzaddik. Who and what is a Tzaddik? We spoke about this a few weeks ago, but today we're going to go much deeper and hopefully a little bit more practical on this. Now, Tzaddik, of course, means righteous individual, um, and we are going to explore what that looks like today. But first, one of my favorite... I mean, especially if you've taken classes with me for, for a little while, you have seen this countless times to the point that it's like, what, this again? And the answer is yes, this again, because today we're going to go through this in a way that I think we've never done before. How about that? How about that? So let's pass this around and uh, let's take a look together. There's a Hebrew side and an English side. Feel free to use whichever is your fave. Um, and, thank you, Toba. And let's go through this. So I'll tell you what we typically do with this. Hey, Norm. Thank God, thank God, thank God, doing well. Come on in. Okay. All right, so here we go. I'm going to put this up on the screen. Um, I'm sure when you all close your eyes at night, you probably see this, because again, <laughs> like, how can you not? We've done it so many times. But, again, we're going to go through this in a, in a different angle, different way than what we've typically done. All right, so bear with me. I feel like a customer service rep. Bear with me. As I pull this up for our online crew on the Zoom, I'm sharing my screen, and here we go. All right, so this chart, this chart, as you know, represents or depicts the 10 sefirot. What are the 10 sefirot? Those are the 10 soul powers. 10 powers of the soul are called sefirot. Why are they called sefirot? By the way, sefirot means a few things. Number one, sapir. You know what a sapir is? It's a stone. What stone sounds like sapir? Sapphire. Sapphire. Exactly. Exactly, sapphire. Why sapphire? I don't know. It's beautiful. Right? It's luminescent. The idea is that the sefirot shine. They shine, they're luminescent. Also, sefirah uh, or sefirot also is related to the word lispar, which, or like mispar. What does that mean in Hebrew? Mispar means a number. number. Excellent. Mispar means a number. And the idea is that God created the world with limitation that is connoted by numbers. You know, when you, when you start counting things, one, two, three, four, five, etc., it means that there is a certain limitation. You know, one is not two, two is not one, etc. So it's, it's luminescent, it's defined, evoked by numbers, etc. Now, there are 10 spherot. These exist on the cosmic level as well as the personal level. Today, we're going to speak about it um, pretty much completely on the personal level. These are 10 soul powers that we've each been given. Three are intellectual, connoted by the blue. On my screen, it's a little bit brighter blue. The way I printed it looks like navy blue, um, which is nice. Uh, then the red ones are the emotional attributes. So each of us possesses the template of these 10 soul powers. Three intellectual, seven emotional, and, uh, and that's what lies under the hood of the human soul. Now, as they exist in their original state, they are pristine and perfect. And when I say pristine and perfect, what I mean is they're healthy. However, the way they manifest themselves in our lives um, is a little bit less than perfect. And I probably should qualify that by saying it's not only the way we express it is in a way of, of less, than perf less than perfection. It's more than that. What, what I mean to really say is 
that in their original conception, each of these powers is healthy. Love is healthy. Boundaries is healthy. Compassion is healthy. Every, in their original conception, and theoretically, each one is um, healthy. However, the way they exist in the human heart, in the human psyche, is not always perfect. Why? Because human beings are not so perfect. So let me give you an example. And what I really want to do is, I'm going to go through each of the seven, I'm not going to go through the, the three intellectual um, faculties. I want to go through the seven emotional ones and describe what it looks like in a healthy way and what it looks like in a very unhealthy way. Yeah. Where did this come from? Ah, where did it come from? So this, good question. <laughs> um, this chart, sorry, not the chart. This concept is an ancient Kabbalistic concept. The ancient Kabbalists. This goes all the way back to Sefer Yitzira, which is you know, we not, we're not sure who wrote Sefer Yitzira. That means the Book of Formation, but it's one of the oldest, um, uh, one of the oldest Kabbalistic works. Some attribute it to Abraham, like Abraham of you know OG Abraham, the one, the original, yeah. the original, the original Abraham. Um, but yeah, this is a this is an ancient Kabbalistic concept, and I think it resonates in that we we feel these ideas. But usually, just to, just to clarify what I'm trying to say, is usually we, dis- we, we go through these and talk about what they should look like. Today, let's talk about what sometimes they do look like, i.e., this, this distortion of the pure powers. So it's like there's a pure power, but then it's a little distorted. Now, here we go. And by the way, this is not a judgment. Just to qualify, this is not a judgment. It's a reality. We each struggle with a healthy version of these versus an unhealthy version of these. So let's talk about the first one, chesed. Chesed is defined here as loving kindness, which is an interesting definition, but chesed can also be defined as closeness or the desire to get close. I once heard somebody uh, give a definition of love. He said that love is a feeling of closeness and the desire to get closer. And I thought, that's a pretty good definition, right? What is love? It's like you want to get closer. Actually, so this the same individual said um, that that explains why sometimes in relationships we find ourselves sometimes, present company obviously excluded, we find ourselves, obviously it goes without saying, we find ourselves creating conflict, like almost artificially creating conflict, right? In order to get back together. Why? Because... If love is about the, 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 the energy of, of drawing close, what happens when you're close? It's almost like you have to push back off in order to get closer again, to get that process. I'm not weighing in on, on healthy or unhealthy on that level, but the point is that love is about closeness. That's the healthy form of love. So love would mean close with family, close with friends, right? It, 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 many different relationships, um, uh, uh, there are, in many different relationships can chesed be manifest, but in all these relationships, it is about a closeness. However, that's the healthy form. Healthy closeness is great, but what's the distortion? What's an unhealthy version of, oh, I have it. I wrote this out already. Oh, but then I'm gonna give it away. All right, I don't mind. Okay, hold on, now I have two handouts. All right, so for the online crew, you just have to trust me, take my word for me. Seven deadly traits, we're gonna go through this together. Okay, here we go. Um, I know I'm, I'm literally interrupting myself mid-sentence, but I don't mind. I, I let myself. Yeah, it's just one page, double-sided. Okay, so yeah, please take a pass. Here's the deal. Every healthy trait can also have an unhealthy, distorted state. 
So what's the distortion of chesed, of, of love, of closeness? So I put it here on this list as obsession. What is obsession? Obsession is where you're unhealthily, right, close or obsessed with something. One could also uh, formulate this. You know, nothing is set in stone over here. It could be obsession. It could also be addiction, which means wanting to get close to something to the point where there's no boundaries in that closeness, right? Where you're consistently getting close to something again and again and again to the point that it's too much. Too much of a good thing is also is obsession. Too much of a good thing could be addiction. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to um, necessarily use the word addiction in a, in a clinical sense. Um, but again, the, the, the notion of chesed, being healthy closeness, also can breed chesed, the unhealthy version, right? Coming soon to a theater near you. No, but chesed, the unhealthy version, is, is, is obsession. Stalking. Right? Whatever. I mean, there's different forms of this. We should never do these things. Right? Don't be a stalker. But the point is that, like, right, that, that unhealthy closeness, there are forms of unhealthy closeness. Let's talk about gvura for a second. Gvura is severity. Translate here severity. But we always explain Gavura as boundaries. If, if chesed is, is attraction and closeness, Gavura is the opposite. It's pulling back, pulling away, which, by the way, is very healthy. It's very healthy to create boundaries. In a relationship, it's good to give the other, hey, good morning, hey, wow, good to see you. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Oh, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Katerina, good to see you. Wow. All right, so... We're talking about, all right, yeah, see, if you, can, if you guys can pass down, if there's some extra sitting around, please pass down. Grab some drinks, some breakfast. Okay, so we're talking, just, I want to, a very quick recap. We're talking about the seven spherot, the seven emotional energies, and how they exist in their distorted state, in their imperfect state. So again, chesed is love, which love is great. Closeness is great, but what about unhealthy closeness? Not so great. Obsession, um, compulsion, um, addiction, uh, stalking, again, I don't know why I'm focused on stalking, but like that idea, just a random phrase, I think, but like that idea of, of unhealthy closeness or smothering, that would be another one, smothering, that's great, not great, that's not great, but that's a, an example of unhealthy chesed, smothering, not giving space in a relationship. So like it's, I'm trying to think of examples. Or in parenting, it could also be like not giving your kid space yeah. to like to stand on their own two feet. Okay, gvura. Let's move on to gvura. So that was energy number one. So just to just to clarify this, these are energies that exist within us, but they could exist in a pure healthy state, maybe conceptually, or they can also exist in an unhealthy state. What about gvura? Gvura is by definition separation. If chesed is closeness, gvur is separation, space, so that's what I was saying before, it's good to give space, boundaries, as I said before about parenting, it's good to give your child space. If you're a boss and people work for you or in any work environment, it's good to give space. Allow the other person to, you know, empower the other to do their thing and not, not be on top of them, right? If, you're, if you hand over something and then micromanage, it's not empowering. So gvura is the ability to take a step back. However, gvura can also be critical because when we take a step back, we might also, right, 
fold our arms and say, hmm, so how, how you doing over there, <laughs> right? We might become judgmental about how the other one is doing. Now that judgmentalism could also lead to anger. Anger or rage. Where does anger come from? Anger comes from gvura skewed. It's, it's, it's um, distorted gvura. Gvura is, gvura really is healthy boundaries. But gvura, kind of um, a distorted form of gvura is anger. Where now severity means that I become a harsh person. I become judgmental. I'm judging you and I don't like what I'm seeing. I'm, I'm a perfectionist and I demand perfection from the other. All of that is about gvura. Now there's nothing wrong with wanting something done uh, in a beautiful way, in a correct way, etc. But that kind of anger, that gvura, um, uh, uh, judgmentalism and anger, that is an unhealthy version. Now, we all have gvura inside. The question that we can think about for ourselves is, does my gvura exist in the pure, pristine, healthy way? Or do I find myself sometimes getting a little bit angry? And if so, where is that coming from? That may be coming from gvura that's in an imperfect state. Now, what about tiferet? What about tiferet? Tiferet is compassion. Hold on, let me check in. So far, so good? Make sense? Yeah. Tiferet is compassion. So in a very healthy way, tiferet is a beautiful thing. Tiferet is amazing. Tiferet is also a combination of chesed and gvura. It's close but it's a little bit distant. So I, I want to give out of compassion, which means that I recognize the distinction between me and the other. I see that gap. I feel bad for that other person. They're in a state of need. I realize that I can help and I want to give, etc. So there's a little bit of distance and closeness. So Teferit is a good bridge between Chesed and Gvura. It's noticing the difference and bridging the gap. Teferit is great. However, Teferit can also manifest in an unhealthy way. What is what, and, and I put on the sheet, I put on the sheet that I prepared, um, a, you know, one version of each of these seven and the way they might manifest um, in an unhealthy way. And the word that I put here is codependency. What's, co- what's one uh, form of codependency? I mean, someone who's giving because they need to feel, that right, that they're giving. Yeah. In other words, the giving is not about the other, the giving is about themselves. So that's a compassion where it's been flipped around. Instead of thinking about the other person, now I'm thinking about myself. What do I get out of this relationship? I, I, I started developing this last week. We, we developed this very quickly. The, um, the Giving Tree. right? The book, Shel Silverstein's book, The Giving Tree. I mentioned it last week. Mm-hmm. Such a powerful book. It's such a, when you read the book, so it's a beloved children's book. But when you read it, it's a little bit, so some people love it and some people are totally creeped out by it. It's like, what is going on here? Some people are like, I love it. I read it to my kids. And some people are like, I would never read it to my kids. Who wrote this stuff? And I think it's a brilliant book and a cautionary tale. And I said this last week and I've shared it before in other contexts, but it's a very, it's a very important book because what it shows is the danger of giving for... Um, to, giving in a way that creates a dependency. So Teferit, the ultimate version of Teferit is giving in a way that is sustainable. In other words, as Maimonides says, the greatest form of giving, right, if someone is down on their luck and you care about them, the greatest form of giving is 
Not giving a anonymous. The greatest form of giving is teaching them how to fish, right? That's the greatest form, right? Somebody needs training, helping, mentoring. That's really cultivating, letting them stand on their own two feet. That's the greatest form of giving. Is Imagine somebody, you're mentoring someone. The greatest gift you can give them is the gift to stand on their own two feet. Now what happens at the giving tree? The boy comes over to the tree and says, I need money. So what does the tree say? Take my apples and sell them. Take my apples and sell them? Just say, let me teach you a job. <laughs> what do you mean? Take my apples and sell them. You know what that means, take my apples and sell them? It means you'll always need me. That's not good. That's not healthy parenting. If the parent is trying to create a relationship where the child always needs the parent, then you have the last page in the book where you have an old man sitting on a stump and the tree says, I don't remember what it says, but <laughs> something like, boy, aren't you happy now or something? And the man is not a boy anymore. That's problem number one, always looking at the other as a boy. Like the objective is no more boy, man, number one. Number two is the man is not happy. Because at the end of the day, if you're not, if you're not your own mensch, if you're not your own person, how is that happiness? So compassion is great, but there's a healthy version and a non-healthy version. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way to create independence. Oh, happy Independence Day, everybody. Right? Yeah. What were the British trying to do? I have no idea. I, don't, I, have to, I have to review my history. But it's, it's good to be free. It's good to be independent in a healthy way. It's good to raise our kids in a way where they are healthy. When I say healthy, sorry. When, the way, that they're, way in, that they're independent and standing on their own two feet and, and, and their own mensch. And that's the goal of teferit, compassion, which is about giving, but giving in a way that also respects space, because remember, teferit is not chesed, it's not kvur, it's in the middle, so it's giving, but with space to create someone upstanding, someone who can stand on their own two feet. When teferit is, is turned inward, what that means is I'm giving for myself to create dependency, and that's not really giving, that's really taking. That's really taking, that's trying to keep someone locked, that's codependency. That's, that's, that's not the healthiest way. Now, I will say, this is, again, hopefully this is a safe space. The bottom line, <laughs> we have to be very careful here, or not very careful, but, but I have to mention this, that all of us struggle with all of these, present company excluded, but people in general struggle with these energies. Why? Because they're so potent. They're so potent, they're so powerful, that, and, and it's so easy for them to exist in a, in a way that's less than perfect and pristine. Because who can stand up and say, I've, I'm a perfect person and all of these are perfect. We're not perfect. And because we're not perfect, our love might be obsessive. Our gvura might be judgmental. We might get angry. We might have triggers and, 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 and get, get, get angry. Our teferit might be a little bit, you know, a little bit self-serving or codependent. All right, netzach. Let's talk about netzach. Netzach is next on the list. Um, Netzach is the fourth energy, and here is defined as ambition, which I think is a great definition. Netzach also in Hebrew, Nitzachon, Netzach means victory. Victory. But in order to achieve victory, you have to have ambition. In other words, you have to have the drive. So Netzach is the drive to get something done all the way. So it's the human trait, the human ability to set a goal and to see it through. That's a beautiful thing. To not get um, deterred by obstacles that inevitably throw themselves up in your way. So it's like um, 
what the, Midrash, what the Midrash tells us about Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham was taking Isaac to Hara Maria, to Mount Moriah, for the, uh, the binding of Isaac for the sacrifice. So God tells Abraham to bring your, bring your son, Isaac, as an offering. By the way, God never said to kill him. He just said to bring him up as an offering. Once he did, the angel said, all right, you brought him up, take him down, right? <laughs> and go out for pizza. No, that might, might have been an awkward... Uh, <laughs> Huh? Yeah, offer a lamb, right. So, so, um, so they're going on the way. The Midrash says that in the middle of the way, Satan, Satan, the, the, the negative energy force, manifested itself as, like, as a river or as other obstacles. And they kept them, and Abraham kept on going. And as he went in, similar to like the splitting of the sea, the, of course, that biblical story, but the, the water disappears, the obstacle moves away as he goes through. The point is that as we go on our path in life. We have, we have goals, right? It's like you're playing golf and there's a flag and you know you're going, that's where you need to be. Personally, I would probably find myself in the rough <laughs> or in the water, but, whatever. but like, right, that's where, that's where you're headed. It's got a pole, it's got a flag, like there. However, along the way, I don't know, sharks, alligators, Water hazards, sand hazards, stuff gets in the way. The question is, how dedicated are you to get to that flag? How dedicated are you? That's where Netzach comes in. Netzach is the ability, the human ability, to see your vision, goal, whatever, through all the way to the end, despite the obstacles that crop up, that pop up in the middle of your way. Netzach is pushing through. That's that's a great trait. However, however, there is a distortion of Netzach, or there's an unhealthy manifestation of Netzach, and I put it here as ruthlessness. Ruthlessness, which is a very hard word for me to say right now for some reason, ruthlessness is a, an unhealthy distortion of Netzach because it's Netzach gone extreme to the point that one may step on someone else or harm someone else on the way to their goal. How many times have we seen people on their way to climb the ladder of whatever it is, whether it's corporate or relationships, that on their way to whatever goal they are, they don't mind doing things that are not so kosher, that are not so okay, right? But I have a goal. Hold on. Machiavelli. Was it Machiavelli who said the ends justify the means? Yeah. Wow, my social studies teacher, Mr. Jesse, would be very proud of me right now. He was a great teacher. He's no longer with us, but he so was a great teacher. Going to when, a few weeks back when he talked about the Sadak and the people in the middle and all these deadly traits are within us. And we yes. Yes, that's where we're going with this. So the Tzaddik, so just to kind of, right, so Larry, just to touch on what you're saying, the Tzaddik, the, per, the, the righteous person, all seven of these are in a healthy space. But the rest of us, the 99.999% of us, we sometimes have moments of manifestation like this, where our love is a little bit obsessive, our gvura gets a little bit angry, our compassion is maybe a little self-serving, our netzach might be a little ruthless, a little ruthless. You know the biblical story of Boaz? Yeah, my favorite question. What was Boaz like before he married, before he got married? Ruthless. 
<laughs> I'm here all week. <laughs> he married Ruth. Anyway, yeah. so Netzach. Yeah, just 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 in case. Um, okay. So <laughs> Dr. Maxi, they don't get better over the years. They really they really don't. <laughs> All right, so Netzach is ambition, but Netzach also could be very ugly. Netzach could be devastating. Netzach could be, wow, um, I don't want to use the word manipulative. Netzach can, can be very harsh and very fierce and very, very, um, just like very, very angry, not angry, very, very harsh. Okay, that's Netzach. That's the distorted form of Netzach. Hode! Let's talk about Hode. Hode is translated here as devotion. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. I, I like a better translation for Hode. I prefer Hode being the ability to yield and humility. So if Netzach is the ability to push your agenda all the way through, Hode is the ability to pull back. So in a conversation, Netzach is, here's what I think. Hode is, what do you think? That's great. That's why they're on opposite sides of the pole, if you notice. Right, because they balance each other. So Netzach is ambition, pushing. Hod is, I know it says devotion, but take my, take my word for it. Ignore it. I know what you're thinking. Why didn't I just change the definition? I don't know. That's a very good question. It's literally, I have a Word document open in front of me. I could change it. I probably should. Anyway, Hod is, so, but Hod is, is, is about yielding. It's about, um, sorry? Say it again? Could be compromise. Yeah. The, the, the effect of Hod would be compromise. Um, Hod in and of itself is more just taking your foot off the gas. If Netzach is gunning it, right, it's like you're just zero to six, boom. Hod is putting on the brakes. Hod is listening. Hod is it's focusing on the other. Whereas Netzach is about me and what I want, etc. Now Hod's very, Hod is very, um, it's a very important character trait. It's a very necessary character trait. But as I wrote here in the list of distortions, um, that sounds way too official, the list of distortions, which is not what I called it. I called it seven deadly traits. Hode would be more along the line, in its negative state or distorted state, it would be more along the lines of meekness. Meekness or weakness. It would be the inability to stand up for oneself or the inability to offer one's opinion or the inability to believe in oneself. That would be a negative manifestation or negative form of Hode, where a person is not just able to hear out the other and give space for the other, but the person is almost unable to assert their own self. The point where a person, you find this sometimes in relationships where a person might lose their own identity in the context of being open to the other. So the Kutzka Rebbe once said, he was a great Hasidic rabbi who lived uh, a few hundred years ago, Rebbe Nachim Mendel of Kutzk. Not a Chabad Rebbe, but, a, but of, the Hasidic, uh, you know, of the Hasidic dynasties. And he had, he had great lines. Like, for example, some of his lines are, there's nothing as, wait, there's nothing as, There's nothing as straight as a crooked ladder. There's nothing as crooked as the straight face of a con man. There's nothing as black as the white shroud, burial shrouds of the deceased. And there's nothing as whole as a broken heart. So he's like, you know, he played like a little opposites, but he also said the following. 
which all of those could be unpacked, and they're all deep ideas. But back to this, he said the following. He said, if I am I, because you are you, and you are you, because I am I, then I am not I, and you are not you. But if I am I, because I am I, and you are you, because you are you, then I am I, and you are you, and now we can have a relationship. You're saying Gesundheit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll break that down again. It was if I am I because you are you, which means I don't have my own identity. I'm just trying to be whatever you want me to be. And you are you because I am I, which means that you don't have your identity because you're trying to, right, like everyone's being a chameleon to the other. So then I'm not I, you're not you, and what kind of, so there's no relationship. There's no, in a relationship, there should be a me and a you. But if I'm not I and you're not you, then what kind of, then there's no relationship. We're meeting on artificial terms. In other words, it's like two people pretending and meeting somewhere in the middle. Then who's actually in a relationship here? That's not even a relationship. Where's the relationship? Okay, but if I am I because I am I and you are you because you are you, then I'm I, you're you. Now we can connect. Now we can fabric together. Now we can have a relationship. So, Hode is... The ability to listen, the ability to hear out the other, the ability to concede to the other, right? Holiday weekend, where do you want to go? What do you want to do in this holiday weekend? Should we go, should we climb a mountain? Should we go boating? Should we go to the movies? Should we go, I don't know, just right, whatever. Where should we go? The beach, the mountain, where should we go? Netzach is, this is what I want to do. And sometimes that can go too far. But it's good to say what you want. Hod is to listen, but going too far, it's, I have no opinion. And that's not real, because everyone has an opinion. It's okay to listen. It's okay to compromise. It's healthy to compromise. More than okay. It's necessary to compromise. But the problem with Hod is, when Hod can go too far, is that you stop knowing what you even stand for. If you stop knowing what you're about, if you begin to question, who am I? I got lost in this relationship where I got lost in, in other people's opinion. I don't even know where I stand anymore. What do I want? That's when Hode went too far. Does that make sense? I wrote meekness. I just couldn't figure out a word for that, a single word for that. I don't want to go into two, more than one word. That's not a clean list. Got to have one word. Meekness, eh, I don't know. Lack of self-identityness. Mm, how about that for a hyphenated one-word <laughs> challenge boggle championship <laughs> thing? All right, Yisod. Yeah, you guys with me so far? Make sense? Okay, Yisod. What is Yisod? Yisod is bonding. What is Yisod bonding? Okay, that's, that's an interesting term. Yisod is also related to the notion of relationships and intimacy. In fact, fascinatingly enough, the mystics, okay, you guys are all looking at the chart, right? So I also have it here on our Zoom. I'm gonna make it a little bit, I'm gonna shrink it down so that online everyone can see it kind of in one false swoop. Um, the mystics say something really powerful. And in fact, when I say the mystics, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you a name. Elijah the prophet. You ever hear of Elijah the prophet? He's like, he's the dude, huh? Yeah, he comes around the Passover Seder. He's always hanging around. I've, I've cracked the code. He comes around the Passover Seder. He comes around by a bris. 
Anytime there's wine, he's there. I'm just saying. No, no but the real reason why, by the way, the real reason why, uh, joking aside, is because at some point, Elijah got so frustrated with the Jewish people because they were worshiping idols and he was ra- trying to rail against idolatry. They were the worshipers of the Baal. He challenged them to a, a showdown on, on Har Carmel, on Mount Carmel. And, uh, and, and, and they show up with their offerings. And he says, okay, we're all going to put wood without any fire. And whichever one lights on fire, miraculously, that's the one that God chooses. So he had his sacrifice. They had their sacrifices or their altar. And he put wood. And around his wood, he put water. He was the ultimate showman. This is like David Copper. He's like, look, I'm even putting water. <laughs> Gasoline. No, I'm kidding. I even put water. And, uh, and, and they just had the wood and they were praying and he's mocking them. He's like, oh, pray louder. Apparently your God can't hear you. So what? Maybe your God is sleeping. He was like goading them on and they couldn't obviously produce the fire. And then he prayed to God. He's like, God, all right, now I did the setup. Now you got to come through. <laughs> it's kind of like, all right, now I'm desperate. And then she goes up on fire. And then everyone says, Hashem Elohim, Hashem Elohim. God is God. God is God. Like, God is the real God. People believed for a moment. And then they went back to idolatry because that's human nature. And so at some point, Elijah is so frustrated. He says to Hashem, he says to God, I'm the only one that believes in you. I'm the only one that's committed to you. That was the beginning of the end of his prophetship. He was like too, he was too holy for this world. That's why he went up to heaven the chariot. He was like, he couldn't deal with like human frailty. He was like too absolute. Like, no one's, no one's perfect. I'm the only one. So basically God tells him, you think you're the only one committed to Judaism and to, to, to monotheism, etc. All right, you're going to come back every Passover and you'll see everyone's sitting at the Seder. They're still plugged in. They're still locked in. Every Brit Milah, every circumcision, entering into the covenant, Abraham's covenant, you're going to and I was, I'm going to make you show up to all of these things just so you can see that, that you're not the only one. There are others that are also, you know, on, on the train. There are also others that are committed as well, even if it doesn't always manifest in a perfect state. That's where that's, he then trains Elisha. Elisha is a different uh, prophet altogether. Elisha is more of a compassionate prophet, one who can deal with the people, but that's for another story. Back to Yisod. Oh, so here we go. So Elijah the prophet says as follows. When you look at, oh, and this is beautiful, by the way, we say this in the prayer book. It's, it's, um, it's Friday before Kabbalah Shabbat, before the evening service, uh, Shabbat, Friday night evening, Friday night service. So there's an excerpt called Pasach Elio or Patach Elio. Elijah opened and said, and it's a beautiful Kabbalistic teaching. Um, authored by Elijah the prophet, who was a Kabbalist. Certainly, he was a prophet. He saw spiritual things, and he spoke about it. So he says the following. He says, if you look at this chart of Svirot, here's what you notice. It kind of looks like the human torso. Well, maybe you have to squint really hard. <laughs> but if you squint, move it around, and after a few lachaim, so then maybe it'll look a little bit like the human torso. So he says, chesed is the right arm. Gvura is the left arm. Teferet is the torso. Netzach is the right leg. Hod is the left leg. Yesod is the bottom of the torso. Elijah. Elijah the prophet. Siyuma Dugufa, he calls it. The end of the body, which obviously is referring to the end of the torso, which is the space in which physical connection and intimacy happens. 
And so yesod here is translated as bonding, and again, maybe it's literal or euphemistic, but yesod is about, so the, what I, the way I usually define it, just to keep it nice and neutral, is connection, the ability to connect. But really, it's not just about random connections, it's about intimate and deep connections. Now, that is a very powerful part of the human experience, and as we all know, that is an area of, of the human experience that is susceptible to what we would call in today's uh, conversation to, a, to an unhealthy distortion. The unhealthy distortion of which we would call maybe lust or an unhealthy, um, unhealthy um, physical, intimate experiences. And when I say unhealthy, I'm not imposing any, uh, any framework right now, but it's just the, the idea of being... Of, of engaging in that area in, a, in an unhealthy way, whatever, you know, however we can define that, in a lustful way, et cetera, in a way that is not, uh, it's not, a, a, not, not a holy way. So in this, context, in this context, what we're seeing here is that some of the major drives of our soul, the drive to love, the drive to create space, the drive for compassion, the drive for drive, the drive to let go, the drive to connect in a deep and intimate space, all of those are beautiful things, and yet they can also be manifest in, a, in, in unhealthy forms, um, in ways that can be self-sabotaging um, as well as hurtful to others, right? Certainly Yisod can be an experience that is very hurtful to others, um, as well as hurtful to ourselves. So all of that, all of that is how the spherot exists in a pristine state and also in a distorted state. Let's go to the last one, malchut, leadership. Um, and malchut leadership also can be distorted. Of course, that's today's premise. What is malchut? Malchut is leadership. As we've discussed many, many times, leadership is a very healthy trait. Um, the ideal of leadership is really what we would call servant leadership, which means to be there for the other, not for one's own self, not for what you get out of it, but literally to help someone else. Different than, well, I mean, it's along the same center line as compassion. So it may sound a little bit like compassion, which is helping someone. But in leadership, this is more of uh, kind of giving a vision, um, uh, you know, a, a leading, a king would be. Malchot, um, literally the, the word melech is, means king. So malchot is about leadership kingship, it's about, it's about um, guiding someone to a greater place, and all of that is healthy, especially when it's done from a place of humility. You know, the Torah says something about a king. The Torah allows for Jewish kings, which, by the way, that itself is, is, is interesting, because kings notoriously have been corrupt. Even Jewish kings became corrupt. I don't know, I don't, I don't know what I'm saying, even, but even notwithstanding the, the safeguards the Torah provides, Jewish kings weren't always so kosher. Um, the Torah says shouldn't have too much money. The king shouldn't have too much money. Too many wives. Too many horses. Yeah, right? Yes. Right. It's like, huh? What's up with that? Now, what's interesting about that is you would think horses just mean like not having too many possessions, right? Not having too many, too many, too much stuff. Um, which is a good thing, because if, if you're about really leading people, then why are you making it about you and your horses? But there's also another reason. 
the, the, like the literal reason, which almost like takes the fun out of the conversation, is it says the horses back in the day were found in Egypt. See you guys. The horses were found in Egypt. And so the message was, don't have too many horses because then you'll find yourself going back down to Egypt. And once we were out of Egypt, there's no turning back, right? Don't, don't lead the nation back to Egypt. Stay away. Don't have too many horses. But I think it's also uh, primarily from a possession, indulgence perspective. But all of that are the safeguards of leadership. The problem with leadership is that, again, it's oftentimes throughout history, it's become corrupt, where the leadership is less about the other and more about self, where it's beca- it becomes completely about self and my self-interest and what I want to do. And, and, and I want to, you know, tell people, I want to boss people around. And that really, so I put here in the, set, in the list of the seven deadly traits, I the distorted form, I put that as manipulation. I was actually debating a few different versions of like what that sounds like, what that looks like. Dictatorship, um, maybe aggression. But I thought manipulation was an interesting uh, theme to focus on in distorted malchut. Because, you know, someone who's in a position of leadership there's a lot of influence that happens there. And when the, when the leader is using that for their own purposes, that's very manipulative. That means that I'm allegedly helping you, guiding you, you know, mentoring you. And in the meantime, um, I'm really, it's really about self-interest and manipulation. I mean, maybe manipulation is a little too soft for this, but the sort of malchut is very dangerous. It's very corrupt and it's very hurtful. So, you know, all told, um, we have these seven energies inside, and in their source state, they're pure and beautiful. But as they exist within us, they might not always look so perfect. Our love might be a little bit um, selfish or obsessive. Our gvura might get a little angry. Our teferah might be a little codependent. Our netzach might be a little bit too ruthless. Our hod might be a little too meek. Our yisod could be too lustful. And our malchut could be a little too manipulative. So those are, that's the problem with, those are the potential pitfalls with these energies. Why am I saying this? The reason why we're, ta- why, why we're discussing this is to differentiate the experience of the tzaddik with the experience of everyone who's not a tzaddik. A tzaddik is someone, by definition, this is, the, this, is the, this is the way we're defining tzaddik. A tzaddik, by the definition of Kabbalah and Hasidut, the mystical definition of a tzaddik is not someone who m- most of the time does the right thing. That's 60% good stuff. Like in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, um, the, in a judgment, if you're more than 50% good, we'll call you a tzaddik. But that's not what we really mean by, by the term tzaddik. A tzaddik really is someone who inside is pure, which means their love is healthy. Their gvura is healthy. Their compassion is healthy. Their netzach ambition is healthy. Their hod humility is healthy. Their yesod intimate relationships healthy. Their malchut leadership is healthy. The tzaddik doesn't have a distorted form of these energies. Although they conceptually could be distorted, within the tzaddik, everything is in its pure, undistorted state. Does that make sense? That is literally the definition of a tzaddik. Yeah? And what about someone who's not a tzaddik? Someone who's not a tzaddik, it's more complicated. We, I would venture to say we know what that looks like. Right? We know that. We look inside. And our love is not always pure. And our boundaries are not always pure. And our compassion is not always... We, we exist 
with this struggle between finding pure expressions of these powers and finding ourselves sometimes feeling, wanting, manifesting not-so-perfect versions of these energies. And so, again, a tzaddik is someone who, in the, on the inside, all of these are in their pure state. A non-tzaddik is someone who these energies are in an impure, not impure, in a not perfect state, in an imperfect state. So what is the bainani? The bainani is someone who we talked about a few weeks ago. The bainani is literally, the literal meaning of bainani is so the, the one in the middle. Bainani is the one in the middle. It's also a city in South Africa, I believe. Benoni, yeah. Anyway, back to the story. So Benoni is, right, someone who's in the middle. What does it mean that they're in the middle? The, the way I phrased it a few weeks ago is a Benoni is a psychological, oh, someone who has these distortions inside, is called a, we call them a Russia. So what's a Benoni? A Benoni is someone who's a psychological Russia, but a behavioral tzaddik. Which means inside the Bainani struggles with all of these energies and their distortions. Struggles with, is my love really pure or is it self-serving? Is my gvura uh, healthy boundaries or do I get angry? Is my compassion about the other or is it, you know, is it about codependency? The, the, the Bainani struggles with all of these, struggles mightily. In other words, sometimes feels like they, they feel like they want to get angry or they get angry inside. But the magic of the Bainani is that on, on a behavioral level, the Bainani doesn't allow those inner imperfections to, to be manifest in the world. So when it comes to action, the Bainani doesn't act on, these ne- on the negative versions of these energies. The Bainani doesn't speak of the negative form of these energies, nor does the Bainani actively um, indulge in thoughts about the negative forms of these energies. In other words, the Bainani doesn't have a clean house on the inside. It's not, clean. It's not so clean. There's, it's complicated. It's complicated. It's a little bit, huh? Yeah, I've been it's there. A, it's a, we're all there. It's a, it's a li- oh, Bainani? It's about Bainani? It's a little bit ugly. I, and again, this is not a judge. This is not a... This is not meant to be judgmental. This is just re- reality. The reality is that unless you're a tzaddik, in which case, good on you, mate. I'll just, just channel my inner Australian, which I am totally not. But anyway, I think I did a, not a bad job with that. I said it fast enough that no one can catch it. But anyway, so all right, unless you're a tzaddik, and if you're a tzaddik, fantastic, but unless you're a tzaddik, you will have had and you will have Moments of chesed obsession. And I'm not just referring to the Calvin Klein fragrance. They still make that <laughs> obsession by Calvin. Remember that? Remember back in the day? Oh, yeah. Yeah? They don't make it anymore? <laughs> There's a question. Yeah. Every time I look at this, I always have the same question. Why is Malchus yeah. at the bottom? Good. Good. The reason why Malchus is at the bottom is because it's the only trait that you have that really is about, that really is only about the other person. And it needs, in order for you to be a leader, 
You can feel compassion, you can feel love, but for you to actually be a leader, you need someone else. So that's why it's, at the, it's, it's a part of you that is now relating to someone else, as it were. That's why it's in the bottom. It's in the bottom because it's the one that, that, that is one step away from the next person. It's like the, the part of you that then relates to the other. I know all of these other energies are also, um, are also the way they also manifest. Love is the way you love someone else and gvura is your boundaries with vis-a-vis -vis someone else. But all of those other energies can also exist in a pretty big form within you, even if no one else is around. But malchot, to really be, to be, really be infused with that feeling of leadership, you really need someone else there. Like it says in, uh, in, in the good books, that if you're on a desert island and there's no other human being around, you're not going to feel like a king, even if there's a soccer ball around. <laughs> You'll be a friend. <laughs> Oh, was it a volleyball? Oh, it was a volleyball. You're right. It was a, no, it was. No, this is an important correction. It was a, Wilson was a volleyball, right? Yeah. yeah. What was I thinking? <laughs> Where's my head? Anyway, so, um, so you won't be filled with malchus, with that, that leadership, with that sense of, of responsibility that really leadership is, is about, unless there's really someone else, um, unless there's really someone else around. So that's, so that's one of the reasons, so it's really about you and someone else, that's why it's the end of you and end of your traits because that's where the next person begins. But here's the point. If you're a tzaddik, then you don't struggle with these. Your love is pure, your gvura is pure, everything is pure, great. But if you're a bainani, you definitely struggle with this. You struggle, you get angry. You find yourself getting angry on the inside. But now the question is, now the question is, what are you going to do about it? So you got a little frustrated on the inside. Great, you're not a tzaddik. Now we've established that. Awesome. Now what? What are you going to do? Are you going to allow that <coughs> emotion, that feeling inside, to manifest in your behavior? Are you going to do something that expresses your frustration, hurtful to the other? Are you going to say something hurtful to the other? Will you ruminate in your mind? Turn it over and over and over and think about it and work it over in your mind to the point that you are working yourself up? Or are you going to exercise what we call a little self-control? What we call self-control. A little self-control. I've coined that expression today. Guys, write that down. <laughs> no one's ever said that. Or are we going to exercise a little self-control? And what that means is not to, um, not to downplay it, but to exercise self-control to be able to hold ourselves back from allowing that inner imperfection to bleed through on the outside. There's the way you feel on the inside and the way you're manifesting on the outside. Those are two different realities. The Bainini has the ability to live a double life in a good way. To live a double life in a good way. Because in truth, the negative feelings are anyway a distortion. You're not being more true to yourself by raging at someone, but that's how I feel. That's how you feel? <laughs> or is that how the distorted part of you feels? That's how the unhealthy part... Again, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but that's how the, 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 the part of you that's, that's you know, maybe not in the best place feels. But is that how you feel? In the moment, yes. But you know what? We'd all be better off if in the moment when we felt that rage or that frustration build up, walk away, 
take a few moments, come back in a more methodical, methodical place and address the issue the way it needs to be addressed, as opposed to like blowing up. I'm giving an like low-hanging fruit example about like gvura's anger and how to and, and, and what to do with that. But that's just an example of many that come up in this conversation, which means that tzaddik doesn't rage or doesn't want to rage. The rasha rages. The bainani is someone who wants to rage, who, who has that, un, that, that distorted gvura reaction inside. But here's the key to the bainani. The bainani is someone who has worked on themselves and worked themselves over the years to be in control, to feel the feelings, to take a deep breath, and to manifest in a healthy way and not in the healthy way. Again, living, leading that double life. That's why I said the Bainini is a psychological Russia, and in internally, they feel the same way like a Russia, but on a behavioral level, they're a tzaddik. Behavioral tzaddik. Okay, and again, when I say behavioral, I don't only mean in action, but on the three levels of thought, speech, and action. Now, with thought, I mentioned this before in previous sessions. You, I'm sure you've heard this before in other contexts. It's very important to remember that there's two dimensions of thought. There is what we would call subconscious thought, and then there's active thought. Subconscious thought are the thoughts that come to your mind. It's like what, what, what your subconscious pushes to your conscious mind. That's all, all of that is, I think it was, all of that is almost, you're not, that, that's beyond your control, what comes to your mind. But what, where you are in control is, what, do, you, do you then take that and run with it, or do you say, Nope, and, and, and redirect your energies. It's like there was once a rabbi who was fabrang and he said, it's always the double take, right? It's the double take, that, that's where, that's your response. The first take, it's not your responsibility. The double take, that's your responsibility, right? It's like looking back. It's like the, what, what the mind, what comes to the mind, that's beyond, that's, you didn't make that happen, that's beyond you. But if you look back at that again, in your mind, the double take, now that's on you. Now that's, that's your culpability. So. You said subconscious for the first one. Yeah. What do you call the second one? The second one, act, I said active, active thought. Because the subconscious you know, realm of the, of the human being pushes the thoughts to the conscious thought, but that doesn't have to, that doesn't have to become your active thought, what you're running with. You can feel it and you can sense it and you can say, oh, let me redirect my thoughts. So this is, now getting back to the context of our, of our text. So, and it's very important to remember, and I think, we'll, I think it'll be helpful to remember this with numbers. There are seven emotional energies that can either exist in a pure or distorted fashion, or healthy or unhealthy fashion, as we discussed at length today. In addition to that, there are three, not um, powers of the soul, but what we would call garments of the soul. This is really important. Gar and we started developing this last week. Garments of the soul are not the soul itself, not the soul powers, but they're the expressions of the soul. Just like clothing expresses who we are or expresses our mood, right? So like if you're feeling happy, maybe you're wearing yellow. No, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> conceptually, <laughs> conceptually, right? But our clothes reflect how we feel right, our clothes manifest and express ourselves, so too we have modalities of expression. Feeling angry inside is not a modality of expression. The modality of expression is 
taking revenge, doing something about it, or saying something nasty, or even in thought, actively um, uh, regurgitating that and thinking about that. So there's, there's um, expression to self, expression to others, and expression in tangible form. All three are forms of expression. We call those, again, just to be very clear, the three garments of the soul. The soul itself are these 10 energies, but really the seven emotional energies we spoke about today. That constitutes the soul, the dynamic of the soul. So how's, how's your soul, what's your soul looking like inside? How's your soul feeling? Those are those seven energies that we spoke about at length. Is your love healthy? Is it distorted? Whatever. But that's all how we are inside. The garments are how we show up outside, how we show up to the outside world, how we manifest that. And the point of this narrative is that you can wear clothing in defiance of how you feel. You can feel yourself be frustrated and you can still speak nicely to somebody. You have the ability to put on different clothing. It may be hard, but wait, I'm in an angry mood. I'm going to wear angry clothes, i.e. say nasty things. You don't have to. That's the beauty of that's the beauty of the garments. The beauty of garments is that you're not forced to wear anything. You don't have to wear those clothes. You can put on something else. You don't have to say that just because you feel it. Just because you feel it, you can say something else. Now, if I told you don't feel it, well, that's how I feel. That's harder. That's harder to navigate. Somebody says, don't feel angry. I don't know. I, I, I'm not a tzaddik. I feel I got angry. I'm not a tzaddik. That's okay to say I'm not a tzaddik, I got angry. But if even if you're not a tzaddik and you got angry, the question is, did you have to take revenge and, and plot something devious? No, you didn't. You could have felt the anger and dealt with it in any number of ways. It didn't have to come out. In other words, again, very, very simply, you, the garments can be changed. No one's forcing you to wear any specific set of clothing. Now, your body is your body, but your clothing can be changed. We have power over the clothing. Again, you feel the way you feel. Your love, your, 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 I know I keep on saying love and gvura. I know I'm mixing languages here, but whatever. Just, in my head, that's how it's coming out. So your love is this place, your gvur is that place, your compassion is that place. You, know, you might be in it, it might be in a non-perfect state. But notwithstanding that, the question is, where, what garments are you wearing? Where's your thought? Where's your speech? Where's your action? Those are perfectly in control. Dr. Max, do you want to jump in? Thank you. I have a question. Yeah. And the question is, it seems like there's another area here. So I get the part about, okay, don't do the double take in the moment. Don't say, you know, something uncharitable or nasty right. or whatever. <clears throat> but by the same token, if I don't go back and look at, well, why, why did I have the feeling of anger in this situation in the first place? And if I am not reflective on that and look within to continue to work on my self, the ten sphero that I'm, my soul is composed of, then how do I get to a better place where I don't have to have the battle of squelching anger and quickly changing garments? 
when excellent. something causes me to feel anger? Ex excellent, excellent, excellent question. And I'm going to say that's more than a question. That's actually a statement. In other words, that's exactly what has to be done. You are absolutely correct. In other words, what I'm describing here is you feel one thing, but you hold yourself back and put on a different set of garments than the ones that you're feeling inside. And what you're suggesting is, yeah, but how sustainable is that? How, how long is that going how to how long is that going to work? How many times am I going to like feel rage? Hopefully not, but let, let's conceptually. And, and, and still smile and say something nice. How, before I explode, right? How sustainable is that? And if I'm not doing the internal work, are my garments at some point not going to reflect the way I feel and it's going to come out pretty ugly? The answer is you're absolutely correct, which is why at the second step is to do the internal work. And that's exactly where we're headed with this conversation. So, but, but just to clarify, so there's really, so the, but what's important is, I think what's important, is to, is to differentiate between these two spaces. There's, I'm going to say who you are. Okay, I'm just going to use that phrase. There's who you are, which is basically the composite of these energies in their either pure or distorted fashion, whatever that looks like. That's who you are. And then there's how you manifest, how you show up. So you might feel anxious, but you show up confidently. You might feel sad, but you show up positive. You might feel angry, but you show up pleasant, right? I mean, that's possible. The point is there can be a disharmony. There can be a dissonance between what's inside and what's outside. And sometimes that lack of, in, of integrity is beautiful. It's necessary and beautiful. Don't always be so honest. <laughs> right? That's not always the best way. No, but that, I want to tell you how I feel. Bro, take it easy. Not everyone has to know how you feel. Because again, that's not really how you feel either. That's the distortion of self. Now, but what Dr. Max is suggesting, but when do we work on that? Oh, so there are times. What the beautiful thing of our text, and I need, I need to drop this now, because it's power. And then, Toby, I'm going to get back to you in a second. But I, I need to mention this. If you recall, this whole drama is centered around the two stories of espionage in, in the Torah. Moshe's story of espionage, when he sends the 12 spies to check out the land of Israel, and Joshua's story of espionage, where he sends two spies to check out the city of Jericho, of Yericho. And the way we understand this mystically is these are the two spaces. Moses sends spies to the whole land. How many nations lived in the land? Seven. You know what that means? Moses says, where's the work? Right here. Let's do the internal work. Moses sending spies to check out Israel. Again, stripping it of its physical con context, the spiritual context, the inner context, the timeless context of that sending of the spies to scout, right? And, and ultimately capture the land means to work on capturing these energies in a holy space. I'm going to work on my love. I'm going to work on my space. I'm going to work on my compassion. I'm going to work on all of these energies to convert them into, into, a, into a pure state. And Joshua sends spies, two spies, not 12, not to the whole land, to Jericho. Jericho, in Hebrew, is Yericho. Yericho is related to the word, we said this all last week, Yericho is related to the word reach. Reach means sent. What's the difference between a thing and its scent? 
I just said it, right? That was a weird question. So there's the thing, and then it's sent. There's what it is, and then there's the scent that it, that it um, emits. But you perceive. Oh, so there's the thing, and then the, way, then the way that it manifests. Just like within us, there's who we are, there's the internal energies, and then there's the garments, the way they manifest. Joshua says, Moses' mission to work on the, all of this, this stuff failed. It was too big. First step is you can't, you can't run here. Step one is you can't run here. First step is Jericho, the scent, the garments. First work on how you show up. When you want to work on yourself, step one is the, the, the deep internal work, I will need to do that, but that's a step two. Step one is let me not blow up and shout at that person. Let me be calm. I'm not trying to downplay how difficult that is if we feel that rage inside. Um, but step one is to work on our garments, to make sure that our thought is in a healthy place, our speech is in a healthy place, and our actions are in a healthy place. Can we make sure in the moment to not do something harmful? Sure. It might be difficult. You might have to sit on your hands. Okay, so sit on your hands. Can we not say something nasty? Absolutely. The Talmud says there are different holes in our head for lack of, right? There's ears, eyes, nose, and mouth. The only hole that has two blocks is the mouth, teeth, and lips. God gave two doors. It's like, you know, you go to a jewelry store, they have to buzz you in twice, right? Right? Buzz, buzz. So awkward when they forget to buzz you in the second time. You're like, <laughs> I can't even let you know. That. I'm kidding. It never happened. But like anyway, so right. So the, te- the, the so eyelids. There's one ear. I don't know. Conceptually, whatever. Nose one. Mouth twice. God says, I gave you two blocks, and you still can't hold yourself back. The Talmud says that regarding lashon hara, speaking ill of someone else. God gave us two layers of security. So that in case we find ourselves wanting to say something that we shouldn't, <laughs> there's two options to shut that down. Okay, that's speech. And thought is a little harder. So speech can, again, can we sit in our hands and not do something negative? Yes. Can we be silent and not say something negative? Yes. Can we redirect our thoughts when negative thoughts, angry thoughts, vengeful thoughts, lustful, whatever. Lustful thoughts come to mind. When those negative thoughts come to mind, do we have the power, the ability, conceptually, to redirect our minds to a, to a healthy and positive place? The answer is absolutely. Is it easy? No, that's probably the hardest one. Because number one, our mind is always going, and number two, no one else knows, right? Those two factors conspire to make it the, more, the most difficult of the three garments to kind of gain control of. But can we do that with practice? Absolutely. Can we reasonably transform our love to be pure, transform our ambition to be pure and clean of any negativity? Maybe, one day. But can we make sure that we show up in a healthy fashion? That's much easier. So this discourse will will be explaining this, the beautiful duality of, the beautiful um, lesson of these two stories. Moses says, let's go all the way. 
If we're conquering Israel, and Israel means the inner landscape of our personality, if we're conquering Israel, let's go all the way. Let's go in all seven, let's go into the whole land, i.e. all seven traits. Let's go in and let's, let's, let's knock this out from the inside out. Let's, let's turn everyone into a tzaddik. And how did that go? Two of, the ten, two of the 12 spies came back with a positive report. And the other 10, it blew up. In other words, not everyone can pull that off. Not everyone can work on themselves and become a tzaddik. It's, it's not so easy. Joshua says, let's, set the, let's move the bar somewhere else. Let's not put the goal of becoming a tzaddik. Let's make the goal becoming a banerni. Let's make the goal not being perfect or not feeling perfectly inside. Let's, let's, let's set the bar as, let me show up in a healthy place. Now, let me think the healthy thing, say the healthy thing, and do the healthy thing, despite what I feel like inside. Is that sustainable? Yes, that is sustainable. And that's what actually, that mission succeeds. So that's the, that's the message of, of these two stories. Um, and all of this sets the stage. So that's, again, that's why, that's, that was the agenda of Moses, the agenda of Joshua. Moses' agenda didn't pan out. Um, Joshua's did. But, and this is where we're going to leave it, with this cliffhanger. And this is what Dr. Maxey said before, which is right where we want to be at. But what's the long term? Is this sustainable? To feel one way, but to act in a different way? Is to act in defiance of ourselves. It's called... We call this white knuckling. It means like, I really want to, but I'm going to squeeze myself and hold myself back. I mean, how long can I sit on my hands before it blows up? How long can I sh- you know, close my mouth and not say the thing I really want to say before it comes out? How, how sustainable is that? Because at some point, we're going to have to work on the inside. So as we'll see in our text, that's why the Torah tells us the story of Moses' spies. One might ask the question, if that mission is not achievable to work, to work on the inside, then why do we read about it in Torah? If Torah is a guidebook for living, why do we read it? Just, just that it's a failure, don't do this? This is not going to work? There's a positive message here. And that is after you send the spies of Joshua, after you work on your outside, after you work on the garments, then it's time to turn on the inside and to once again send those spies that Moses did to work on the inside. And this is why I really wanted to get to this today inside, but I wanted to also make sure we got the other stuff. Um, on your handouts, you'll see this, and you can take it home and read it. Um, there's a section called The Oath, I believe. Is that what it's called? Yeah, The Oath. The Talmud says that before the soul is sent down here into this world, before it's um, paired with the body, the soul is administered an oath. And the soul is made to take a promise. Right, I picture like, like that oath. Is that how you do an oath? And right hand on the Bible. Oh, right hand. Oh, my bad. Right hand. I'm left-handed, so Who knows? <laughs> anyway, so the oath, the soul takes an oath, and the first thing the oath says is, Tihit Sadik. The oath is, Tihit Sadik. You have to be, be at Sadik. And the oath, and, and that's the oath administered to the soul. And the question is, be it tzaddik? We just said you can't be it tzaddik. You cannot, the best you can be is abandoning for most people. And so what we'll see as we, as we develop this concept is that the goal of striving to work on the inner part of self, the Moses um, effort, is a critical piece of self-growth. 
So yes, the first step is work on the garments and that's the part that's attainable and etc. But ultimately, there also has to be the internal work to be at tzaddik, to send those spies of Moses to work on the inside. Will we perfect our inside? No. But will, can we move the needle a little bit more so that we don't always blow up or so that we, if we do get angry, it's maybe a little bit less intense than it was? Absolutely. That's what we'll be talking about, how to change the internal stuff, how to work on the inside, starting from the outside, but how to ultimately work on the inside. That is the next steps of our conversation. Thank you for joining me today for Kabbalah Cafe. Hope you enjoyed it, and it's really great to see you all here. Now, Toba has a question. I also want to make a quick announcement. The quick announcement is, I will be out of town. Let me think about this. I am headed to Boston the end of the week, and I will be gone for about a week and a half, Friday to the following Sunday. Um, so what that means for this class is I'm gone the 9th and the 16th. I'm out of town the 9th and 16th. So, I mean, we could do everything remotely or, or you can take a two-week break <laughs> and pick it up afterwards. And I think we may, I think we may do that just because I'm not sure of my uh, situation in Boston. That sounds weird. Not sure of my situation in Boston. <laughs> Sounds very like, I don't know, they're coming with the white van. I don't know what's going to happen. No, no but um, I just don't know, like, streamability in uh, the hotel. Uh, how good is the Wi-Fi? I don't know. So let's put it for right now as we'll take a few-week break mm -hmm. to resume on the 23rd. If something changes, either way, I'll send an email at the end of the week. If you're not on the email list, let me know. I'll get you on it. Um, either way, I will let you know about that. But let's, uh, let's set it for right now. Certainly I won't be here in person, but let's, um, let's call it for a, a, a short break. I don't like taking breaks in general. I like uh, consistency. What are you going to do? So you said it would be the, if you take off those couple of weeks. 9th and 16th, so coming back the 23rd. Yeah, I'll be back. I'll be back the 16th, but yeah. in the evening. Um, just so you know, the reason why we're going to Boston is my wife uh, got a, as part of a cohort, of um, educational leaders that is having a program at Harvard. So there's a, so Harvard, so she's going to Harvard and I'm going along. I told her I'll carry your books. <laughs> you have to go to like the University of Detroit and get like an official Fantastic. Oh, what is it? Like an official t-shirt? Yeah, you gotta get like a, you know, a sweatshirt. Yeah. My wife went to Harvard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'll walk through the campus and then tell people I went through Harvard. <laughs> or I'll go, I'll step in and say I went to Harvard. I think both are true. <laughs> both will be true. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, hold on one second. One second, Toba. Oh, we have to step back a bit. We're emphasizing mostly the aggressive qualities. Yes. Like anger and... Yes. And that's a Dominance, right. Dominance. What about something like meekness? That would be hoed. I know, that's yeah. hoed. But how do you come forth with that and not... I mean, that's a little harder. You mean how does that manifest how or how do you... How does that manifest? How does that manifest? That's manifest the way I conceive of it. And, and, and there's... You know, just because I'm presenting it one way or another doesn't mean that that's fixed in stone. Right. It's just the way that I'm perceiving it. Um, the way I'm perceiving that is um, that... 
a person shows up in a way that is not self-asserting and thereby does damage to themselves by not, you know, being confident. No, no, I understand that, but how do they... Oh, how does that manifest? How, how that manifest? Oh, what's the in, the in a negative way? Well, how is meekness manifesting? Meekness would manifest. That's what you don't mean. Right, right. Meek, huh? Try to be a mensch. No, 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 but she's saying in a negative way. How would meekness manifest in a negative way? What would that garment be? What is the garment? What is the garment of action? Maybe the garment is enabling. Maybe it's someone's headed down a negative path and you help them because you're too afraid to say no. You don't step up. You don't step up. Or you don't stick up for yourself. Or you don't stick up for yourself. So how do you... I mean, that's a little more difficult. You're, I know what you're saying. Right, right. I know what you're saying. It's an absence of as opposed to... What are you saying, Sarah? Passiveness. Passiveness. Right. I, I think what Toba is struggling with is, but all of that is a, is a, um, is a, is a, is an absence of garment. What absence, would the, yes. what would the garment of meekness look like? Or is it just that garment is not having a garment? Does, does that show up as not doing something? Or is there a showing up? So I think one way of showing up as doing something would be to help something, to help further something that's really not a good thing to help further. Like an alcoholic. Assertiveness. Like you, Assertiveness, but, but right, enabling, right? Yeah, enabling right, in a way because you're afraid to not, and again, this is... Because you're worried about the friendship. Like if you, if you sit there and continue to talk to your friend about their bad habits and alcoholism, and then, but then you stop doing that because you're afraid you're going to lose that friend, so you're keeping that friend out of your selfishness instead of trying to save them. That's one. It could manifest that one way. So I, I, it's a good question that you're asking. I have to think about it. And I don't know. I don't. I don't think when it comes to any of these items that there's one correct answer. I think this is kind of a template, and everyone's experience is different. Even when I was describing it, I try to stay somewhat neutral in the description, just because I don't want to impose a definition on any of these. That is an absolute definition because I don't believe that they are absolutely defined. I think everyone has a different, like love and closeness and boundaries and distance and ambition and, 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 and yielding. I think everyone has a different experience of what that feels like for them. And I'm, not I think, I know everyone has a different experience in that. And so I kind of try to stay a little bit out of the way on that and let everyone kind of feel that the way they feel that. Mariana, did you want to... Jump yes, in. thank you very much for Pleasure. the class. I, I, I love it to understand the way what is a, a, a tzaddik, because always in my mind, said, how do you, you, you can be like, you do always the things right. It's not that. It's like the, from where comes the energy. It's the insights, the energy. And my mind. And yeah. the other thing is that Ian, my son, was in, in New York, and he went to the oil, mm. and he took in the hand Oh, these wow. beautiful books, and when he realized, when he paid the books, was your your book? Yeah, yeah. An inclusion. That's the book and that I wrote. Yeah. Me yesterday. Wow. For the present, and I cry because because I I teach in that way in inclusion, and just last week in the in the university, the Catholic university told us that we'll have a big big class for for inclusion and that comes to my to my Beautiful. hands in the most right moment and it was the last one for me wow you see how god wow works? that's amazing so ian was in new york 
He went to the yes. Ohel. He bought a book on inclusion. He opens it up. He sees that I wrote it. Yes. Then he brings you a copy. And there's yes. at the university, there's a, there's a course on inclusion. Amazing. Wow. Yes. Yes, Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Was the, the last one, <laughs> and I took it because it says inclusion in the oil. He went to meet a friend in the oil, and you see. It's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow. Very special. All right. Uh, amazing. I, I, I don't even know what to say. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Hashem's running the world. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. I don't have copies. It's the right. I got to speak to the publisher to get it. To get it. By the way, for those that don't know, I wrote a book on inclusion, called "Inclusion and the Power of the Individual." It was published in, I think, two thousand nineteen, right before, wow. right before the pandemic. So you couldn't yeah. do your book it's tour. Beautiful. It's I did beautiful. A, thank and, you. And everything is so beautiful, so delicate that everything is like in a group, but there's but one, yeah, one bird, it's yeah, one separate, yeah, and it's. It's so clear. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Baruch Hashem. Thank you. Thank you. Very touching. Um, 16 left in stock at Amazon. On Amazon. Amazon still has it. <laughs> um, did you, Sam, did you want to, you wanted to say something? I was just thinking about people. So you have people, uh, and it's, this is the, the Talmud. The Talmud, I believe in the Gemara, where it said that if a guy's drunk and he says something, that's really what the truth is. Right. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, alcohol brings out the yeah. truth sometimes. But it's bringing it. But if you've already, that was your initial state. When you change these original thing, thoughts are still there. Right. You haven't. Uh, so alcohol is basically just taking away your conscious control of it, and you're mm -hmm. saying things mm -hmm. that you don't live by anymore. Mm -hmm. I would say this. There's actually a very big conversation about this psychologically. Remember Mel Gibson. Well, that's what I was going to bring up because I am the rabbi who's a good friend of Mel Gibson's. So, so there's a big debate about. So, for, so Mel Gibson, for those that 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 maybe that happened a little while ago. So he was intoxicated. He got pulled over while driving drunk, and the officer that pulled him over was Jewish, and he went on a rampage. Like he went on a rant, not rampage. We went on a rant against Jews, and oh, anti-Semitic, and then he got canceled, and like all of that stuff happened. This is before canceling was like that popular but he got canceled before canceling was in and I think he's back I think he has he has more movies since but I remember reading a psychological work study that talks about him and says you know we sometimes think that yeah the alcohol it brought out what he really believes maybe not maybe not maybe he's a person like everyone else i.e. again I'm not I, I, I'm so let me just for, for the record, I don't know what's going on inside his heart, so I am not judging him. What I am saying is, I read a fascinating thing, that, uh, a study, not a study, like a, a, a work uh, of psychology that basically said that when people, when we think, oh, if you drink alcohol and then you say something, that's what you really believe. We're way more complicated than what really believe. We really believe all across the board. We have healthy chesed, we have unhealthy chesed in the same space. So when we drink, one part may come out. Is that what we really are? Maybe not. Maybe not. How do we know that that's... The ideas that get in their brain, your brain when you're young. So, for example, he's admitted that his father was very anti-Semitic. So he grew up listening to all this. Right, so it's he somewhere in the recesses. Not, he was not anti-Semitic right. in his life. So when you're young, but when you get drunk, you, you still, you still these It's still there, are, right. That's, right, you're, you're making... It. You probably said it when you were a kid, just mimicking your father. Right, you're saying an excellent point, and that is, even if a person has worked themselves to repress the negative part, could it come out Yes. Is it bad that it came out? Absolutely. 
doesn't mean that you're rotten through and through or that you're a complicated human being like most human beings. That's also possible. Again, I think it's less about him specifically and more about the concept of, of the... Um, of just how nuanced and multi-layered our inside um, energies are, our inside faculties are. All right, so we'll leave it at that. It's a great, it's a great way to, to kind of conclude the conversation. So what do we do today? Today we looked at the seven emotional energies. We looked at them in a, what we would call perhaps a pure form, and we looked at them in their distorted form. And what we discovered, what we discovered is that two things. Number one, notwithstanding how complicated things might be inside, we have the power on the outside in our garments to put on or take off whatever garments we wish. So in thought, speech, and action, we have the ability to modify, you know, uh, to, to not allow negative expressions to come out and vice versa, to allow positive expressions to come out even if we feel negative. And, uh, and at the same time, we spoke about and we alluded to the need to ultimately work on what's going on inside because that is really what makes the internal, the, that makes us being a mensch more sustainable when we do do that work on the inside. So with this, we conclude today's conversation. I want to once again say how amazing it is Right to see you. This is like the best treat that anyone could ask for. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Ray. And Ray, only in good health and blessings and nachas and just only beautiful, beautiful occasions. Ray, it's really beautiful to see you. All right. And Olia, it's great to see you. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> Very nice. It's great to see you. All right. And everybody on our online crew, it's great to see you as well. Matt, I don't think I said hi before. Hey, it's great to see you. Waverly, it's great to see you. Eve and Cheryl and Larry and Joy and Mariana, great to see you guys. All right. Ha everyone have a wonderful 4th of July. We'll see you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Take care. What, do, we say, do we say Chag Sameach? I don't think so. <laughs> nah, probably not. Probably not officially.